Well, good morning, church. Glad that you are here this morning, and if you're a brand new first-time guest, just know my name is Doug, and I'm the East Campus Pastor, and we are delighted that you're here with us this morning. In fact, we are going through the Gospel of John, and, and we're kind of in that place I talked about last week where we've kind of fit into the spot in the middle of John's Gospel where there are people that are truly struggling to believe him to believe who he is, believe what he's about. And in fact, in John chapter 9, we saw that Jesus performed this incredible miracle, this guy that was born blind, and yet the people around him just struggled to believe because what was unexplainable in their heart and mind trumped what was undeniable, and that's that Jesus healed this guy. And so what was unexplainable kept them from trusting him. And then in the beginning part of chapter 10, we saw where Jesus talks about being the good shepherd, one that would lay his life down, but yet he would take it up again. And when he made that statement about his death and his resurrection, people around him just goes, we can't, we can't comprehend that. We can't buy that. And they struggled to believe him. And then last week, we talked about how a group around Jesus at the end of John chapter 10 began to say, what we need is more clarity. What we need is more understanding, and Jesus lays it out for them. And when he lays it out for them, they began to, to cry out that he's a blasphemer, that he's someone who claims to be God, and he shouldn't do that. And, and the reason they struggled to believe wasn't because they needed greater clarity. It wasn't because they thought he was a blasphemer. It's because their hearts were hard. And today we're going to see something that I feel like is maybe one of the reasons that many of us struggle trusting God. Even if you're a believer, one of the reasons that we struggle trusting God, one of the reasons we struggle putting our faith and knowing that he is in control, that he's on his throne, and he's got all things in the palm of his hand, and it's the circumstances of life. And what we're going to see today in John chapter 11 is that it's circumstances that kept people from believing. So every Bible, turn with me to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. It's a familiar passage. It's one that you probably know well. It's the story of Lazarus and his resurrection from the dead. But as we look at John 11, there are three things that I want us to kind of extract from the passage that give us a great deal of understanding of what's going on. And then we're going to look at the responses of Jesus and see what are the lessons we learn from his responses, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, here's the first thing I want us to notice. It says this, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with anointed and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So the first thing I want you to know, and just kind of obvious, is I want you to see the circumstances of the story. I want you to notice the circumstances that are going on. Jesus is not in Bethany. He's far away from Bethany, a good distance away. And Mary and Martha have a brother, and his name is Lazarus. And we know from Scripture that Jesus loved Mary. He loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus. If you remember, he's actually spent time in their home. In fact, you may remember the story where when he shows up, Martha began begins to cook a meal. Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's like, will you not get on to her, Jesus? Because, like, that's what we're supposed to do. And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, Martha, Martha, why are you worried about all the elementary things? But what Mary's doing is right. And it was a beautiful story to remind us that oftentimes that which is urgent seems to trump 
that which is important even in our lives. And so Jesus loved Mary and Martha. He loved Lazarus, and so Lazarus is ill. Now let's just say it for what it is, because we know what the story says. We know that Lazarus doesn't have like the flu bug. We know that he doesn't have the common cold. We know that whatever the illness is, that his illness is leading him to death. Because obviously Mary and Martha are at the dire straits. They're at the place where this circumstance is in dire need. And they know that Lazarus, <coughs> excuse me, if something's not done, Lazarus is going to die. And so what do they do? They send word to the only person they know that can do anything about it. And who do they send word to? <coughs> Come on, who do they send word to? To Jesus, right? So they send word to Jesus that Mary and Martha say, listen, that Lazarus is sick and we need you. Now, how does Jesus respond to that request? Look at me in verse 4 through 7. But when Jesus heard it, pause, stop. How would you respond? How would you have responded? See, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've got some people in my life I love a whole lot. Like if I got a phone call and I got waved down in the middle of the message somehow that my mother had had a heart attack and she was in a hospital and they didn't think she was going to make it, I would say, Don Jacobs, please take over and I'm out of here because I'm going to get on the next plane out of here and I'm going to go see my mama because I want to be with the person that I love deeply. Wouldn't you do the same thing? Wouldn't you do it? Sure you would. But look what Jesus does. Fascinating. But when Jesus heard this, here's what he said. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed, say it with me, two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now think about this for a moment. Mary and Martha have sent word to Jesus, hey, our brother is ill, the brother that you desperately love. And he's not just kind of sick. He's about to die. And Jesus, we need you. And did you pick up on how Jesus responded? He stayed two days later. I don't know about you, but when I read that part of the story, I'm like, really? Because I know you love them. I know Jesus loved Mary. He loved Martha. And he loved Lazarus. But he stayed two days later. And not only that, did you pick up on what he said? He said, this illness won't lead to death. Well, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, how do you know? You don't have Google. You're not there. You haven't assessed the situation. How do you know? Now, why in the world would Jesus say that this illness will not lead to death? Because Jesus knew something that nobody else knew, didn't he? Jesus knew something that nobody else knew. And you may say, well, Doug, well, even the fact that Jesus knew something nobody else would do, why would he wait? Well, he tells us here. Let's go back to it. In verse uh, 4, look what he says. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Here's what he says. The reason I'm going to wait and the reason I know this illness is not going to lead to death is because I know something you don't know. Do-da, do-da, right? So I know something you don't know. But here's my reason. You ready? Because when I show up, 
I want the glory of God to so shine through me that it makes no mistake, that people are not mistaken at all of who I am and what I've come for, that I truly am the Son of God. Now think about it just for a moment. If Jesus had shown up before Lazarus died, he could have healed Lazarus, couldn't he? And the people would have gone, this is nothing any different than any other miracle we've seen. Let's say Jesus shows up and, and Lazarus has just passed away and he resurrects him and resuscitates him back to life. They might have said, this is pretty far out there, but it's kind of similar to things we've seen. But if Jesus shows up four days after he's been in the tomb and brings him back to life, there's never been a miracle like this. And Jesus says, the reason I'm waiting is because when I show up and I do what I know I'm going to do, there will be no mistake of who I am. People will no longer be confused of my power, of my authority, and of who I am. And you think about it, it's like all the sisters want is Jesus to hurry up, right? Just get here as fast as you can, but Jesus has a plan. Now listen to me this morning. <clears throat> when you look at these circumstances, we need to think about the dire straits of the circumstances. But I want you to think about, <clears throat> excuse me, I want you to think about how does Jesus respond? He responds like this. I've got a plan. And I know things that you don't know. And you're going to have to trust me. Now, how many of you with full disclosure and full honesty feel like that is a really hard place to find yourself sometimes? Come on. I do. I do. Because I'm like Mary and Martha. Jesus, hurry up. I prayed it last night. It should be ready by this morning. Right? I mean, we live in a fast food world, and we expect the same thing out of our Savior. And so there's a ton of us, if we were honest, we feel like hurry up and show up. Hurry up and show up. Hurry up and show up. And when he doesn't show up, it hurts. And so Jesus responds by going, listen, I know something you don't know, and I have a plan. I don't know about you, but when you go through some circumstances in your life, do you find yourself like Mary and Martha wanting Jesus to hurry up and show up rather than considering that maybe he's not showing up because he's got a plan that I don't know about? Anybody ever think that way? Maybe he's at work doing something that I'm unaware of. Do you ever stop and think that way? That maybe the reason he hasn't shown up, maybe the reason he hasn't answered my prayer, maybe the reason I haven't sensed him or felt him or watched his handiwork move is not because he's not listening, it's because he is at work and he knows something that I don't know and he's got a plan and I just need to trust him. That's a tough place to be, isn't it? And so Jesus hears this dire circumstance Knowing that he's got a plan and he knows something nobody else knows and he waits two more days. Now, if you're the disciples, are you a little bit baffled that Jesus is waiting? A little bit, right? So if you were to read on, we won't read today, but if you would read on from verse 8 to 19, you're going to find there's a dialogue that begins to happen. And Jesus talks about Lazarus being asleep and like, oh, we'll just go wake him up. He's like, no, you don't understand, guys. I'm saying he's actually dead. And Thomas goes, well, maybe we need to go. And so then they all begin to make their way to Judea, to Bethany. And that leads me to the second thing I want you to see. Not only the circumstances, but the second thing is found in verse 20. Skip down to verse 20 through 22. It says this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, remember, he's waited two days. 
that he's coming. She went and she met him. Pause. What would that have looked like in your life? If you were Mary or Martha, and you sent word to the one that you loved, that loved you, and they've waited two days, what would that look like in your life? What emotion would you have conjured up? But look what happens here in the story. When she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha meets him, Mary's still upset. Mary's still back home. Verse 21, and Martha said these words to Jesus. Listen, this is so painful. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now think about this for a moment. We see these dire circumstances, and the second thing we see is Martha's pain over Jesus' delay. Martha is in pain that Jesus has waited two days to show up. Now think about it for a moment. By the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is no longer ill. Lazarus is dead. In fact, if you were to back it up a couple of verses, you would find out that he's been in the tomb for four days. Now you say, well, Doug, why is that significant? Follow me for a moment. According to Jewish superstition, the soul would linger for three days, and then it could still be resuscitated. But if it was there, four days they were in the tomb, the soul would depart, and no longer was there a means of resuscitation. We would say that this way, that because he was in the tomb for four days, Lazarus wasn't just dead, he was dead dead. I mean, this guy has no hope of being resuscitated at all. And by Jewish law, this guy is a goner, and he's never coming back. And that's the scene Jesus walks in on. And the words of Martha are words that I'm sure cut him straight to the heart when she said, if you had only been here. Can you feel Martha's pain? Come on, church. Can you feel her pain in that statement? The pain over Jesus' delay. If, Jesus, if you had only been here, he wouldn't have died. But I love Martha because she expresses her pain, and on the heels of that, she immediately expresses her faith. Did you pick up on what she said? Let's go back to verse 22. But even now, four days later, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus, I know that you're late. <laughs> I know you're late. And I'm hurting because you're late. If you had only been here, he wouldn't have died. But here's what I know. You are God. And whatever you ask of God, he'll give it to you. I still trust you. <clears throat> now, that is a beautiful statement, isn't it? In the middle of her pain, she demonstrates faith. And then look how Jesus responds to her. I love this. Verse 23, it says this. Jesus said to her, your brother... He will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, yet they shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, think about what Jesus said to her. He's made three really important claims. He said, first of all, your brother is going to rise again. In other words, Martha, I know you're hurting. Man, I know you're hurting. I know Mary's hurting because she didn't even come out to greet me. But I want you to know, listen, I'm at work. 
And Martha goes, I know he's going to rise on the last night. No, 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 Martha, it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he's going to rise. And you know why he's going to rise, Martha's second claim? Because I am the resurrection and the life. Now, Jesus made a lot of I am statements, but this is the most profound of all of them because I am the light of the world, talks about how he is the light to the truth. I am the door means he's the path to God. I am the good shepherd means he loves and cares for us. But by saying I am the resurrection and the life, he's saying not only do I have the power to give eternal life, I have authority over the, over the living and the dead. It all belongs to me. Martha, I get you're hurting. But he's going to rise. You know why? Because I am. Now for Martha, that would have rippled effect to her understanding of who God is. That God introduced himself to Moses by saying what? I am. Martha, I am the resurrection life. I have authority over life and death. And then he goes on to say, and those who believe me, those who buy into who I am, I will give them eternal life. They're going to live with me forever. And he ends with this powerful statement. Do you believe me? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe that I am the resurrection life? Do you believe, Martha, that I've got a plan? Do you believe, Martha, that I know things that you don't know? Do you believe, Martha, that I'm worthy of your trust and that you can count on me? Do you believe, Martha, I am ultimately in control? Do you believe this? Look what she says. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. In the face of pain, yes, Lord. So when you look at the story, we see these dire circumstances. A plea for Jesus to come, but Jesus says, listen, I know something you don't know, and I've got a plan. And I need you to trust me. He shows up four days later and we see the pain of Mary because Jesus delays. And as they engage one another, she expresses that pain. He knows that pain, but she says, Jesus, I still know that you're in control. And when Jesus says, listen, the reason I can tell you he's going to rise again is because I am, I am God and I'm the resurrection and the life. I have authority not just to give eternal life. I have authority over the living and have authority over the dead. Do you believe me? And what does she say? Yes. yes. Pause. Do you believe him? Do you believe him? Now, it's easy if you're not going through a circumstance to say yes, isn't it? But if you're going through some circumstances in your life and your heart is loaded with pain this morning, we need to be a whole lot more like Martha here. Express that pain to the Lord. Listen, if he's big enough to shoulder your salvation, he's big enough to shoulder your pain this morning. And you can acknowledge it to him, but say, Lord, despite my pain, despite what I'm going through, I know that you are in control. And I know that you can 100% be trusted. And I know that you are the resurrection and the life. Leads me to the last thing I want you to notice here. It's found in verse 28 through 38. Bear with me as I read these 10 verses. It says this. When Jesus had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, and he's calling for you. 
And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and saying, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. Did you hear that before? When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus, what? Wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he open the eyes of the blind and also have kept this man from dying? The third thing I want you to see, we've seen the dire circumstances. We've seen the pain of Mary. But I want you to see this last part is the skepticism of the crowd. I want you to see the skepticism of the crowd. When Jesus gets Mary there, Mary shows up on the scene and Mary is weeping because of what's happened. And the crowd around her begins to weep. But did you pick up on what the crowd said to Jesus? They said, if you can open the eyes of the man that was born blind, could you not have kept this man alive? I know they're just saying, if you really had loved him, Jesus, you wouldn't have waited. If you really loved him, if you really cared about him like you say that you do, he would still be alive. Jesus, we hear all the stories. We know you healed the blind man, but we're skeptical because if you really loved him, Lazarus would still be alive. And what did Jesus do in these moments? It says that Jesus what? Come on, what did he do? He wept. Now, there's been a lot of theological debate over this one shortest verse in the Bible. Why did Jesus weep? But if you journey through the gospel of John, it's obvious, isn't it? Jesus wept because someone he loved, yes, he's dead. Jesus wept because there is disbelief among the Jews who've seen and heard a lot of things he's done, and they still haven't bought in. And so he's weeping over their disbelief. Jesus weeping because of the effects of sin and the broken world with which we all live in. Jesus was so moved by what was going on that he wept. And there was skepticism. And look how Jesus responded to the skepticism. Verse 38. Then Jesus, again, deeply moved. So that's three times he's been moved. Again, he's moved. And it says this. He came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, take the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. For he has been dead for four days. No, Jesus, he's dead, dead, right? He's gone. It's going to smell. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he prayed. And he said this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I knew that you were always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 33. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man had died, came out, 
His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips and face unwrapped like a, with wrap of the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Think about how Jesus responded to the skepticism. I love this. He starts by saying, hey, take the stone away. And Martha goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's been dead four days. There's going to be an odor. Now, this is where the King James translates this better than anybody else. It would translate, he stinketh, <laughs> right? Not an odor, but he stinketh. I'm going to say, if you've been dead for four days, you're going to stinketh too, right? He stinketh. There's going, to be an, there's going to be an odor, Jesus. And Jesus looks at her and she says, do you not remember what I've told you? Do you remember what I told you when I got here? That he's going to rise again. Do you remember what I told you that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you remember what I told you? And then Jesus prays the most beautiful prayer in verse 41 and 42. And he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account that people standing around, they may believe that you have sent me. He prays this beautiful prayer. And now it's game time. And Jesus, I love this, says with a loud voice, what does he say? Lazarus, come out. Now, if you could jump back 2,000 years ago, would you have been on the edge of your seat going, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. Is that good news this morning? That Jesus had the authority because he's the resurrection life to call a dead man back to life. Lazarus came out and a dead man came out of the grave. There's no miracle like this miracle that he performed. Now, what I find most interesting about this story, and I want you to think about this. Because Jesus called out Lazarus from the grave, does that not speak to the power and authority that Jesus had? Does it speak to that? Yes? Question. Why did he say, Lazarus, come out? Why not just stand at the entry of the cave and go, come out? You know why? Because all the graves would have opened. Are you with me on that? If he just stood at the entry of the cave and just said, come out, every grave everywhere would have opened and all those that dead would have come alive again. And so with the power and the authority of Jesus, he calls Lazarus out of the grave and he comes back to life. That's incredible, isn't it? And look what happens in verse 45. And many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Mission accomplished, right? Do you remember what he told the disciples? The reason I'm delaying is so when I show up, I'm going to do something that's so magnificent that people are going to believe that God is the one who sent me, that God's glory is going to shine through me and people are going to buy in. Mission accomplished. Now, when we look at the story, I know we can fit into it perfectly. When we look at the story, we see these dire circumstances. We see the pain of Mary and Martha. And we see the skepticism of the Jews that were surrounding but I want you not to miss the lessons that we learn from Jesus. Here's the first lesson. You might want to write these down. There's four of them. This is super important for you to think about this week. Here's the first lesson. Jesus gets you and he weeps with you. 
If you're going through some stuff this morning, I'm letting you know that our Savior loves you so much that when you are hurting, he hurts for you. Isn't that what he did here? Three times he was moved. He wept. Why? Because he was hurting, but they were hurting. Yes, there was disbelief. Yes, there was things going on, but they were hurting. And Jesus demonstrates his love and his empathy and his sympathy by weeping with him. Listen, no matter what you're going through this morning, he gets you and he weeps with you. Second thing I think we learn in this passage is this, is that Jesus is God and that he's always in control and that he has a plan. There was a song, I've said this before, but it's one of my favorite 1990s songs. It's written by C.C. Winan. And it's a song that says this, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. And we need to realize the second lesson that we learn from this passage is, is simply this, is that Jesus was always in control. And that he had a plan, even if you couldn't see it, even if you didn't know it, he had a plan. And you could trust him. Here's a third lesson I think we learn, and it's this, and this is so hard for all of us, especially for this pastor. Jesus is always on time. Let's say that together. Jesus is always on time. He's never late. Boy, it sure feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? But he's not. Because he's got a plan, he's always on time. Jesus is never late. Let me give you one more lesson we learned. It's this. Jesus always has the last word, not your circumstances. Jesus always has the last word, not our circumstances. So I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're deep into grievous circumstances, like they're really dire circumstances. Maybe you come in this morning with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt in your life. Maybe you come in this morning and you have a skeptical heart. Listen, we've got to ask ourselves the question that Jesus asked these people. Do we believe these lessons are true? Do we believe that Jesus gets us and he weeps with us? Do we believe that he's in control and that he has a perfect plan? Do we believe that he's always on time? And do we believe that he has the last word, not our circumstances? Church, do we believe this? Yes. And if we do, let's live like it. Let's stop living in defeat and let's start living as more than conquerors in Christ. Let's start living in victory. Let's start living the abundant life rather than living in defeat. If we believe this, it should change how we live our lives. And so this morning, if you find yourself in a place of fear, if you find yourself in a place of anxiety, if you find yourself in a place of frustration and doubt, would you confess it to the Lord and say, Lord, you know I'm struggling. You know I'm struggling. But I believe that you always have the last word. I believe that you are always on time. I believe that you are always in control when you've got a plan. And I believe you get me and you hurt when I hurt. Would you confess that to the Lord this morning? And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Can I say something to you encouraging? You have a lot in common with Lazarus. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. He was dead. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior spiritually this morning, you're spiritually dead. 
And just as Jesus stood at the cave and called Lazarus out and Lazarus came out of the grave, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do for you this morning. He wants to call you and remind you of his sacrifice that we sang about over and over and over again this morning. He wants to remind you of his love for you and he wants to call you out of the grave clothes of spiritual death and give you eternal life. And all you have to do is just surrender. There's probably some dead men and some dead women walking this morning. But Jesus wants you to move from death to life. And the only way you can do it is by trusting him as your Savior. So right now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me if you would. Everybody stand.